Es spricht der Führer. Als unsere Partei gerade sieben Mann hoch war, sprach sie schon zwei Grundsätze aus. Erstens, sie wollte eine wahrhaftige Weltanschauungspartei sein. Zweitens, sie wollte daher kompromisslos die einzige Macht und alleinige Macht in Deutschland. Hello, and welcome to the Third Reich History Podcast. My name is Ryan Stackhouse, and through the magic of technology, we will presently be joined by Chris Osmar. For those of you joining us for the first time, I'm a recent graduate of the Florida State University History Department, where I was a fellow. Chris is a current student of the Florida State University History Department, where he is currently a fellow. Together, we specialize in the Nazi secret state police and their relationship with different portions of society. Chris looks at the way Nazi secret police dealt with foreign workers who were used as slaves in Germany during this period, and I look at the enforcement of laws governing the expression of opinion. The first project that we're tackling with the podcast is a literature review of the so-called end phase of the Third Reich. That would be the last 10 months from the assassination attempt against Hitler until the end of the war in May 1945. This week, we'll be looking at Michael McConnell's debut article, The Situation is Once Again Quiet. In this article, Mike looks at the activities of the Gestapo to the west of the city of Cologne during the evacuation of the left bank of the Rhine. I actually had the pleasure of getting to know Mike while he was finishing up research for his dissertation at the, I I think at the time it was still the Dusseldorf State Archive, and and it has since moved to Duisburg. But at any rate, our time overlapped there while we were both doing research. And unfortunately, we, we only really got out on the town once during the time that I was there. But the conversations that we had were incredibly fruitful, and we've kept in touch since, and he's really contributed to the development of some of my own ideas about the end phase. His own work really raises some new ideas about treating the end phase, particularly the fall period of the end phase, as a distinct time in the development of the Gestapo moving towards the end of the war. He also raises some good points about the influence of the partisan war rather than simply just service in the genocides of the East, as contributing to the behavior of the Gestapo during the final months of the war. Without further ado, Michael McConnell's The Situation is Once Again Quiet. All right. Uh, let's, let's try and take this back to the McConnell article. Um, Shall we begin our actual discussion? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is a good departure point, uh, because I think that that's the best thing McConnell does here is that he's isolating the fall as something distinct, mm-hmm. uh, as a precursor to the spring, but something that is different. And, you know, you, you've been pushing this line with me uh, for a long time, and I entirely embrace it. Uh, but <laughs> I think that this is an, an original for him. I, I think he said it first. He is introducing the idea. The idea of the fall is distinct? Forward. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Oh, and I think that is the number one thing that, that the number one contribution that you make. Yes. Um, I, the, this idea of the fall as a period in the development of kind of radicalization towards the end 
is definitely like as breaking it off as a separate piece, I think is certainly the most important contribution of the article. Mm-hmm. I was, I know, was intrigued by the, use the word radicalization and, and he's talking about cumulative radicalization as the, the fall is being part of that radicalization process. But as we were just saying, as we were just talking about, radicalization may be the wrong way to think about this. That contingency here could be more important than some kind of process that's driving people to become more violent based on what they've done before. Hmm. You follow me? Yeah. Well, McConnell is, is very much arguing for radicalization. And he talks about it a lot. And, and he sees this radicalization as starting in the East. He talks about the, the transfer of, of personnel, the importance of rotation, uh, and all of that. And he's presenting the fall crisis as one more step in this radicalization process that explains, he implies that it explains what happens in the spring. So do we buy that? Well, this would be the part where I thought that the article doesn't do as much good work. I, I thought I think the idea how would you define cumulative radicalization, right? Mm-hmm. Uh there's certainly another stage that's being reached here. And 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 I think the distinction is that radical their radicalization occurs, it simply doesn't affect Germans yet. And and well and there's there's an entire separate story going on here with foreign workers because mm-hmm. you know Himmler issues these orders where you can just go out and shoot them right yeah um, and that's in that's in November when the front has stabilized when yes. the Ardennes offensive is just about to kick off they may not expect success in that but there's at least the hope there yeah so that the this November first order comes. At the end of the fall crisis, rather than during the beginning of it. Well, it's early November, right? Yeah, it's November one. So the consolidation in Cologne is about to kick off. At that point, mm-hmm. we're just rounding up everybody, yeah, and getting ready to like really crack down and send in the engineers and start digging people out of digging people yeah, out okay. of cellars mm-hmm. and things like that. But the front is stabilized, and. We don't have standing orders for how to deal with non-Germans yet. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's what Himmler establishes. And th- there is a very important step that occurs when that happens. Because, you I mean, you're talking about like 7 million people inside of Germany. And uh, I'm sure it means a lot to them, right? <laughs> but like the, it, the Germans are still separate. The Germans are still existing in this uh, sort of privileged space, if you will. Mm-hmm. But the foreign workers or ad- behaviors towards foreign workers open up significantly. And and there's, I think, a really good argument to be made there that McConnell is doing about the whole thing with the the techniques of the partisan war being brought home and the attitudes mm-hmm. of the partisan war being brought home to Germany from Russia. I think yeah. that's that's very evident in the way that they treat foreign workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that he overstates the case when he goes on to say that there's this indiscriminate, what the phrase that he uses here, widespread and indiscriminate violence. I, mm-hmm. I think is is an overstatement when you're talking about German civilians in the fall. Uh, I think that's something that we that is is much different. So yeah. Uh, 
the I think the best continuity there is this idea of creating dead zone. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's uh, presenting the evacuation as an anti-partisan tactic, that this is the kind of thing that had happened in the East. When you have partisan fires, you remove anybody who might support them, who might provide them food, clear the area, and then you can kill anybody that's left there. And if they stay hidden, they're going to starve to death. And I think there's something to that. I, I think certain. that there is, but I, I would also just like to test this here. Mm -hmm. How How is it different than the evacuation of the Western border prior to the declaration of war or the evacuation of the border around Czechoslovakia in 1938? Why are we connecting Dang. this with the Eastern <laughs> Front instead of with standard military tactics for strategy? Yes. And that's something he doesn't bring up. I It will be in his dissertation in this book. It has to be. He can't ignore that. Uh, if he does, he's doing a great disservice. That evacuations had happened before. Evacuations of the western border had happened. Happened before. before. And, and people had resisted those evacuations before. Uh, the, the original evacuation of the western border, people left, but they just came right back again. And during the evacuations of cities threatened by the bombing, people left, but they just came right back again. Uh, and there were these efforts like the restricting ration uh, for or refusing ration cards to uh, people who returned to their cities where they're supposed to be evacuated from. Uh, and ultimately those failed, right? Uh, that the state was not willing to do that kind of thing. Well, I mean, like Hitler vetoes that in October. He says people who refuse evacuations, some of the RVK, some of the Gauleiters, the regional party bosses want to stop ration cards for people who refuse evacuations or refuse to go to the areas that they've been ordered to be evacuated to and Hitler shoots it down. Wait, 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 wait. Are you talking about October of 44? Yeah. No. -uh. Uh -huh. For real? For real. That's in Stolzfus. That's in Hitler's compromises. That was in 44. I thought that was 43. I will take another look at it, but okay. I'm, I'm fair well, certain because the, it was the evacuations in October of 44... September, October of 44 are very different from the evacuations in 43, which are about clearing cities that are being bombed Absolutely. Uh, rather than creating dead zones behind the front. Yeah. So if they tried that again uh, in 44, that would be surprising. Uh, I'll, I'll have to go through it again and take a look at it some other time. I got it here next to the table, uh, the, the desk, but I, so I don't think that there is quite as straight and unbroken a line from uh -huh. the Eastern Front to the evacuations and the the policing on the home front. However, I, I do think that the argument that McConnell is making is much stronger when you're looking at the way that they're discussing it as as abandoned krieg a partisan war or a bandit war the same yeah. way that they discussed it on the eastern front the same way that they had discussed it in sort of the occupied balkan areas and you've got the the entire way that they're behaving and that they are uh the the, the way that they're executing foreigners on german soil the way that they treat non-germans i think is chapter and verse sort of how how they were behaving 
abroad outside of Germany. So those those yeah. attitudes, those yeah. behaviors, those counterinsurgency strategies are definitely being brought home. Yes. And I think that they're also applied in Cologne. I think that it, it could have become the model, but maybe it didn't. Mm hmm. But um, I, I think that the, I think it's overreached to say that, that it is applied to the German population. I think something else that is very new that we discussed a couple weeks ago with Kershaw is what is happening with Germans. What some something that is new? Well, they're being regimented via the Volkssturm. They're being regimented via conscripted forced labor uh, through the man the attempt to conscript female labor into into the war economy. So there, there's a different set of structures that are increasing the coercive capabilities of the state uh -huh. and their power over average Germans' lives every, and their private lives and everyday lives, but they're not drawn from the, the partisan wars. There, there certainly is an influence there. Uh, this is another Gutenberger documentary. This is a report on the action of the Kampfgruppen from November 24th. And he lists the goals and the objectives of the, the, the Kampfgruppen, these order police uh, battalions led by the Gestapo. Number three, abandon the Kampfgruppen. Yes. And when, he, and when he goes and lists how, what has been done to achieve each of these goals, to number three, abandon the Kampfgruppen, they have stationed a battalion or two battalions from Comp Group of Three in Cologne from the eighth of November to the twenty-first of November. Uh, so they see themselves as engaging in Benjamin Bekampung in German cities. Yes. Yeah. So there is an influence there. But the, the question is how much and is it just directed against foreigners or is it about foreigners and Germans? I think that the Ehrenfeld gang situation shows the Germans can fit into this understanding uh, of what they're fighting against, that uh, Germans can be abandoned, but how extensive was that? How, how much were people that did less than steal massive amounts of butter and try and blow up Gestapo headquarters, uh, how were they seen? How were people that just refused to evacuate seen? Right. Yeah, I, I certainly the Ehrenfeld groups, uh, plural, fall into the, mm -hmm. that, that whole sort of spectrum of Banden Bekampfung quite comfortably. Uh, and yeah. I, I certainly like it's really clear and, and McConnell does a really good job of showing it how sort of these you're, you're well, if you know the historiography, because a lot of what he's saying is is sort of things that you would recognize if you've done the reading on partisan warfare abroad and just the fact that they're using the same language to discuss this mm -hmm. stuff. They're using the same tactics to discuss this stuff. And, and this he, is, point, he points this out every time that it happens. So Once again, language, uh, I think that it is important when, like, who can be a member of a, a gang or band? Can Germans fit into that? It seems like yes. Yes, if if they decide to raid a munitions depot mm -hmm. and go around shooting yeah. political leaders, yeah, right. And who can be a plunderer? Can Germans fit into that? It seems like yes. 
but it's usually not. And who can be a border crosser? Can Germans fit into that? Yes, but usually not. That each of these words refer to a non-national category, but that those categories are associated with other nationalities. Well, um, I, I think plundering is just normally not the case because most Germans don't have to do don't have to steal to live right yeah. if you're a russian and you're on the run you have to steal and you have to fence stolen mm -hmm. goods in order to get food uh but if but you're... i mean that but the same language was was used in the east during the Prussian warfare the same language was used in the colonies during the kaiserreich right but at the same time here chris like the same plunder. language the same language is used to describe the activities of gestapo officers in the disciplinary papers information that's published by the RSHA. Plunder, plunder is a specific criminal activity. It's just that certain social groups are more apt to engage in it because they are marginalized in the Third Reich. Well, sure, certain social groups have the need to engage in that kind of activity more than others, right? Yes, yes, exactly. But um, I, I mean, like, they're still talking about Gestapo officers receiving a six month punishment and being drummed out of the service for engaging in plunder in Poland. Mm -hmm. Right. Or like, you know, stealing somebody's private property, uh, in, in a, in an evacuated area or whatever. Um, there's, I, I don't mm -hmm. know. I, I think, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that those categories, I think that those categories still refer to behaviors and that's why it's important because the fact that they refer to behaviors is what makes them permeable, right? Like yeah. that's why you can execute a German for plunder, right? You, it's less likely to happen, but you know, you can, right. You can classify that as plunder. Like, I mean, the, the really famous case is the woman in Essen, I think who steals someone's underpants off the line after a bombing raid. <laughs> and you know, she's executed for plunder. Yeah. No. Yeah. So it, no, it it does happen. Sure. So, can we just reduce it to behavior? Though, were Germans that much less likely to engage in plunder, or were they that much less likely to engage in behavior that could be considered gang activity? I think that they were that much less likely to engage in something considered gang activity. I think when it comes to crossing the front line, that's when you get into some really interesting gray areas because there's this whole, that other report that I was talking about. We could engage in another digression at some point about that. <laughs> but when you get into that report, you're into the thousands of people who were picked up trying to head westward. So the rules are different for what the punishment is if you're a German and if you're a non-German. And I, I think that's that's a line that needs to be, or a, a sort of frontier, I suppose, that needs to be mapped out between these different groups, right? Because I'm certain as well that there's there's also a difference between a Russian and a Western European, right? Uh, as, as far as what kind of crimes they're going to be accused of? And what yeah. what types of consequences they're likely to mm. face here. Yeah. Sure. Russians are seriously overrepresented on the chart that you sent me earlier 
of people who yeah. were executed by the Air Cleanse Commando. Yeah, they're forty percent of the people who were executed, and like 78 percent of them are executed as plunderers. About the same statistics for poles. The 78 percent are executed as plunderers, and from the other groups, it's like one or two from every other group total. Mm -hmm. The plunderers are Russians and Poles. And one so German. I guess the point, yeah, there's one German. Um, I think there's one Just one to prove person. the rule, right? The exception yeah. that proves the rule. Mm -hmm. And the Dutch here are, are mostly, the Dutch are half of them, two of the four that I see here. Oh, one was shot attempting to escape from jail and two were shot for being terrorists. Which that is, that's anti-partisan warfare language too. Yeah, but it, it suggests that they're ac they're actually engaged in some type of information collection, or at least were perceived to yeah. be. Yeah, if not active resistance. But you don't you don't see, you know, you have a few French people who were shot attempting to cross the front, and a Dutch person who was distributing leaflets. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking at plundering, it's mostly Russians and Poles. Yep, absolutely. Uh, another thing that's interesting about this set is uh, who's shot trying to escape and who's not. That's the ADF column. And the Western, the Germans and the Western Europeans are much more likely to be shot trying to escape than the other groups. Uh, implying they maybe wouldn't have been shot otherwise, or that a justification was necessary for shooting them. For shooting who? The Germans? The Germans and the, the Western Europeans, the, the French and the Dutch. That's they are more true. likely to be shot. That's very interesting. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do a, do a sort on that if you haven't. It's significant. So we should probably explain to the people who are listening, if we don't edit this out, that mm -hmm. uh, M McConnell has a reference in his article to, as as the Gestapo decentralizes in response to the 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 approach of the front line, they move, they decentralize, they move out. Cologne Gestapo moves out into the countryside, and there's one town that we've mentioned a few times, Erklens where one of the commandos, one of the small groups of Gestapo officers execute 80 people between, uh, what is it, 24 September, 21 September and 21 December 1944. And uh, Chris has dug up the actual document here and put it in an amazing chart that shows us the citizenship of each of the people who was executed and what what the grounds for the execution were, as well as whether or not they were reported as being shot on der Flucht, which is shot while attempting to escape, which is, for those of you who, who don't know, a very famous euphemism from the concentration camps for someone who was shot out of hand, and then the Gestapo needed to come up with an excuse for why this person was shot while they were attempting to escape. So shot while attempting to escape. Um, and as we were saying, the Western Europeans are one, and the Germ there's only eight Germans on a list of 80, and almost the Germans almost to a person 
and many, most, it's if five, not most, of the Western five Europeans. Of the, five of the eight are shot trying to escape. Right. And then and you the have... Others, some kind of resistance activity. Right. Dutch, French shot while attempting to escape. Like Western Europeans are much more likely to be shot while attempting to escape. Yeah. And what I think the interesting question here is, is whether they would not have been shot otherwise. So it, whether the punishment was supposed to be different for them or if this veneer of legality didn't exist yet. So they felt that they had to manufacture it by saying that they were shot attempting to escape. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose the historiography of the concentration camps have me accustomed to assuming that any time the Gestapo <laughs> says they shoot somebody while they were attempting to escape, this person was not attempting to escape. Right. But uh, uh, that's that's a very good point. They're they're close to the front line. There's every reason for them to attempt to just you know leg it for the woods, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, um, particularly the the French and the Dutch were probably trying to cross the border in the first place. And one stateless person. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder who that is. But we'll never know. There's something with people like renouncing their citizenship in the interwar era. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, World War One having disillusioned them and all. So they, yeah. they sh- there's an entire subsection of Gestapo files in Dusseldorf dedicated to stateless <clears throat> persons. Yeah, I just have you seen that uh, National Geographic series Genius? No. About Einstein. Yeah, apparently Einstein was one of these people that renounces uh, German citizenship. Uh, huh. You should watch it. If you if you want a a biopic period drama set in Weimar Germany, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's well produced and about Einstein, then you should watch that show. <laughs> that sounds like it's right up my strasse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah um, no doubt. Um, so, um, what what would you say that McConnell's core arguments here are? Well, it seems like he's, his argument is that Gestapo officers were radicalized in the East mm-hmm. in the, the partisan war. And that when they got, when the Gestapo decentralizes and they have more autonomy, uh, that they applied this institutional culture that was already there that said that you need to follow the Fuhrer principle. You need to act on your own initiative to do what's best for the German people and that they behave violently against Germans in order to protect Germans uh, in this situation based on their experience from the East and from the existing culture and the, the institution. Right. Or well, that they acted, they, they imported the, techniques and, and strategies of the anti-partisan warfare of, of the of the Eastern Front back to Germany. Yeah. Okay. And he specifically identifies this period in the fall. And I think the other important thing that he points out that's quite novel is that it's the evacuation operation itself in many ways sort of creates this culture almost right like the 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 decision to carry out the evacuations is part of why the gestapo decentralizes so that it can carry out the evacuations and in decentralizing he argues that's what unleashes the violence in many ways that's what enables this culture 
of of individual mm-hmm. initiative and brutalization and and decivilization that has been learned on the eastern front to sort of thrive yeah yeah um because manpower is a question here too that the gestapo has been understaffed and overworked and he identifies that as something that is driving radicalization as well that when they're given this task, it's kind of too much for them to take. But then there's this whole situation where uh, the Allies have just pushed a bunch of Gestapo officers out of Western Europe. And that seems like it's a problem for McConnell's argument um, that overwork is a problem. Well, I, I mean... It's not by, by saying that the Gestapo in Western Europe... Uh, he even throws Aachen in there, the Aachen Gestapo that's been pushed back, uh, mm-hmm. is experienced in anti-partisan warfare or in, in fighting against resistance mm-hmm. and that that they drive the radicalization as well. Um, so he's kind of trying to have his cake and eat it too there, saying that not having enough people radicalizes the Gestapo. And then when more people show up, that radicalizes the Gestapo. Uh, but I know I don't want to dismiss it altogether. Because the people that came in from the West did have a different experience. But another one of his arguments is that the importance well, of the rotation. The, the rotation system uh, means that the people in the West also served in the East. Right. Uh, oh, but the, by, the, by the West, people in the West that were driven into Germany. I mean, people like the Gestapo and occupied. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. The, the, the Gestapo officers from occupied Benelux mm-hmm. and France, right? Uh, they they were all part of the same rotation system. Like a a lot of names from Poland in 1939 end up in France, end up in places around Russia. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Boven Siepen is from, uh, I believe he's from Duisburg, actually. I think he actually married a stenographer, a Gestapo stenographer. I who's, found who's Boven Siepen. Boven Siepen? He's uh he's one of the Einsatz group leaders. Uh from huh. the from the genocide in the East. One of the few ones to actually be prosecuted for it after the war as well. Whatever his biography is. I I I was looking at their records for the Duisburg office that were like people signing off that they'd re- reviewed the standing orders every six months or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And um one of the stenographers remained on staff and her last name changed to Bovensiepen. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh-huh. I think there might be an interesting piece of biography there, but uh-huh. <laughs> it's certainly, it would be, it would be a difficult world to try and have a spouse from the outside, no doubt. Right. Or well, <laughs> maybe less so because you have the traditional separation of like masculine and feminine space still. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Quite considerably, in fact. But the. <laughs> Pardon me. And you know what? I feel like I'm going to tell that story to somebody at some point. So. Oh, it's a great story, right? Something's <laughs> game here. Yeah. Um, so if, if we look at the claims that, that McConnell is making, one, that the fall is a distinct period. Mm-hmm. Two, that the return of brutalized officers drives radicalization. Three, that 
there's some connection between the evacuations and the return of the officers and individual a culture of individual initiative that results in the use of tactics and strategies that were originally developed in the partisan war in the East, which is kind of a big one. I feel like that could be broken down more, but, and, and mm -hmm. I, those are the big three claims that I can think of out of this that we just discussed. What, what works and what doesn't out of them, I suppose. What's our final analysis? Well, my favorite is the, the anti-partisan war connection. Uh, because others had made connections with end phase violence and the Einsatzgruppen because there's so many personnel that are the same and uh, there's tech execution techniques that are the same. These are techniques that were developed over time in the East. So that it, it's clear that as a technology, that this execution, these execution techniques have been transferred. Mm -hmm. But nobody's really talked about the part of anti-partisan and try to make that connection. Uh, and of course, the Einstein group were deeply involved in partisan war. Uh, so that's my, my favorite part of his argument. As we, we've talked about, maybe it doesn't apply to Germans, but because I'm so concerned with foreigners, I buy it. Uh, I'm yeah. I by it. So I, I would say that there's sort of, there, there is a border still to be drawn there between. Mm -hmm. Uh, how behaviors change towards non-Germans and how behaviors remain uh, and how, how, how they're still being, they're changing, but it's not, it's not the same experience as foreign workers. And in fact, follows very different rules that he, um, maybe, maybe aren't as clearly connected to the partisan war as, as a lot of others apart from the, and, and again, that, back to our discussion about the evacuations and earlier evacuation uh, programs, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the, the connection with the officers bringing back techniques specifically from the partisan war, I, I think is, yeah, I, I mean, this is nothing that anybody else has said. Yeah, and it rings true. Well, I was just going to say, and I also think that the other major thing is that he is identifying the fall as a distinct period within mm -hmm. the end phase, because when, you know, the term itself basically refers to, depending on how you date it, either sort of, you know, basically the assassination attempt against Hitler on 20 mm -hmm. July until the actual end of the war in May 1945. So... The fact that he's saying there, there's something very important that is happening in the fall, I think, is another very important idea that, again, most people, and that it's a distinct period rather than just sort of being a straight shot from, and then terror begins, and then we end at the end, right, I, I think is quite important as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. It lets us start thinking about end phases instead of an end phase. Yes. And and I, you know, again, just to be picky because that's our job. The the point there would be that I think that there, the way that he discusses it as a total, de, a total sort of collapse of central authority, a total decentralization, and the emergence of uh, an indis as he said, widespread and indiscriminate 
terror uh, or violence is, again, something that applies in large part to foreign workers and is much more debatable when you're talking about Germans. And that brings us back to the point that there there is a shock and a reaction to the collapse of the front line and then a, a stabilization. So the, the, the fall is a distinct period unto itself in the development, but that it's not everything that he's saying it is in, in terms of a sort of total collapse. Yeah. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think that it's hard to explain a decrease in violence after the fall if we are talking about a continuing collapse. So radicalization, <laughs> cumulative radicalization, I suppose, would be the fourth major claim. Yeah, that's one I'm not as comfortable with. Um, and we've, we've already talked about this a little bit. But like, like I said, some of the different factors that he cites as contributing to cumulative radicalization conflict with each other. For example, you radicalize when you have fewer people, you radicalize uh, when you have more people. You radicalize when you get a message from Himmler transmitted by Gutenberg. You radicalize when you're not getting messages uh, because communications have, have broken down. And if there is cumulative radicalization, how do you explain a fall off in the violence after the fall. Mm -hmm. if, he's, if he is talking about a radicalization that happened to everyone who went through the rotation system and wound up in the East, and that they've just kind of carried this with them, that maybe I'd be more comfortable with. Right. But if we mean by saying cumulative radicalization that people cross a threshold and then they're comfortable crossing that threshold, again and again and again. I don't think that the evidence is there. Because not there for Germans or not there for foreign workers? Not there, like, is it not there for everyone or is it not there for certain groups? I think it's not there for everyone uh, because the, the same trend is present for foreigners as well. I mean, look at that action in... Uh, um, Krefeld. The Krefeld, Krefeld. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they round up foreigners there, but they're not executing them. Uh, and that's in January. Right. There, right. Once, right. Once they've pacified Cologne, they've jumped on the situation early enough. They don't have to, you know, they very specifically say they do not bring out the combat engineers, right? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. That's a very good point. That's a very important point. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I, I would still say that there's more evidence that there is a cumulative radicalization towards the treatment of foreigners, at least towards Ostarbeiter, the the Russians and Poles, because you have the executions, you have the shootings, you have the shootings primarily directed against Russians and Poles, and mm -hmm. you you don't, so far as I know, really see that the orders are not changed, the protocols for what processes you need to go through to execute uh, uh, an Eastern worker are remain basically at your discretion, right? I believe it's the head of a Gestapo station can order the execution of a foreign worker on their own, in their own right, without contact with the RSHA. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a case of the behaviors changing where after the pacification of Cologne, after the stabilization of the front, where 
you don't have a situation anymore, like with Rusenic, where you think that if you just bunker down in and and steal your way through and for the next couple of weeks, that you can kind of keep your head down and survive until the allies arrive. That foreign workers are like, okay, the situation is the situation is once again, uh, it was once again quiet, right? <laughs> and and uh, the front line has been stabilized, and we should uh, the the equa- your calculus of what your best bet to stay alive until the end of the war changes again, right? It, it's no longer worth your the the sort of risk benefit analysis to go off on your own and try and make it in the bombed out ruins of a city because everybody who tried that in Cologne got rounded up and shot and uh, or, or blown up by combat engineers and the few people who tried it are being rounded up too quickly to, to really pose a threat in the same way. Okay, so in this understanding, uh, the Gestapo is radicalizing, but the foreigners are changing their behavior so that executions go down despite radicalization? Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, I, I would argue that. Or I think I think that's what I would I would see from them. What do you think? I think I think that that's that's possible for sure. And I mean I don't know that there's evidence that your run of the mill Ivan Schmo Ostarbeiter is going to know what happened in Cologne unless they lived on Schoensteinstrasse. Uh, but okay, if we're if the explanation is cumulative radicalization, then what happened was something changed inside the people that worked for the Gestapo. Right. But it was them that changed. I think that a better explanation is that the context in which they were operating changed. That perhaps they had learned behaviors in the that they had changed internally then. And then the context in the West changed to resemble the East. And so so those behaviors became active. Right. Uh, I'm more comfortable with that. Uh, There still is some kind of training that goes on with the Gestapo. But it doesn't have to be cumulative. It doesn't even have to happen in the East. I mean, you could argue that the culture was already in place. What's his name? Zoldaten. Uh, I can't remember the author. Anyway, mm-hmm. the book is Zoldaten. Uh, and he's arguing that the military culture that was expressed in the War of Annihilation in the East had already existed before the war. Rossino, Hitler Strikes Poland, argues a, a similar line, showing that the, in, during the invasion of Poland uh, and the actions of the Einsatzgruppen in Poland, uh, which aren't talked about as much as they should be, uh, that this approach to conquering subhuman Eastern people was already in place. So if the ideas were already there, they don't have to change. The, the context changes then the behaviors can come out. Well, at the same time, though, the rules are the same, right? Like foreign workers know that they can be shot without notice, right? So I, 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 I see what you're saying, and I think that there's definitely something to that. I think you've got your finger on something important, but I think that there's also an element of the rules of the game changing 
at least so far as foreign workers are, are concerned. Mm-hmm. I think that it sort of wavers for a minute where Germans are concerned and then very quickly returns to something that's more familiar. And they, they have to problem solve how they're going to deal with Germans if they have another fall crisis, right? Like, mm-hmm. There's one thing I do want to talk about, and this is almost a throwaway line in McConnell's article, but it's something I was thinking about before I read it, and I was pissed that he thought of it also. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he kind of gestures to a possible con- connection between the Nero order to destroy any anything mm-hmm. that can be of use to the Allies and destruction of people that could be of use to the Allies. And it's very intriguing. Um, I have looked for evidence for a long time, and I've not found it. But it sure seems like telling people in the West to destroy everything of value could be a psychological factor if nothing else in making them feel justified in killing people that can't be evacuated what do you think well the notes in the margins on on the pdf here say this idea will no doubt interest chris (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i um I think I feel like a lot of the stuff about language or I, I is an important point because certain categories do collapse, but I think mm-hmm. that, that this is perhaps pushing it a little too far. Um Yeah. Yeah, I think you're probably right. It's intriguing though. Yeah, it's novel. It's 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 like it's historically sexy, right? Like conceptually yeah. sexy, but uh, yeah, not look at the the Nero order yeah. and not think of labor and specifically and, and the maybe, sort of disposable so slave labor with, that way. Maybe not so much with German evacuations. Maybe not even with foreigner evacuations, but with the death marches of the concentration camp prisoners. That's where it just seems like the two are two parts of the same whole. But like I said, uh, I've been looking for the smoking gun on that one for a long time, and I have not found it. And I don't think it's out there. Well, but I mean, but, the flip yeah, side of that argument, I believe that we've rehearsed before, is that if you're if you're on the death march and you're trying to sort of hold on to these hostages, but at the same time, or or hold on to this forced labor or whatever, you you can't. You're still in the position where you can't ideologically you can't allow these people to run around uncontrolled and so if they can't mm-hmm. come with you they gotta die right like yeah. um i i don't i don't um, feel like that's really throwing sand in the gears i feel that's just sort of the rough and ready sort of well we got to keep moving of of the of the yeah. sort of end of the war yeah and that's what Blatman says we got to do Blatman too we got yeah do- um I feel like it's not as important, but it's it's a big book for the end page. So we should do that one too. That does it for this installment of the Third Reich History Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to see you next time when we'll be discussing Gabriela Lotfi's Katze de Gestapo, or Concentration Camps of the Gestapo. It's all about the treatment of foreign labor in the work education camps, the AELs, 
and I will present a short discussion of actually the different types of camps that the Gestapo oversaw before we begin the discussion next time. So if you're interested in knowing more about the concentration camps and especially interested in knowing about how the work education camps specifically changed at the end of the war, we hope to see you there. Until then.